0: We're recording. Um, yeah. No, 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 more, no more fun things for you, Ezra.
1: Fun no. Things. Please no, reload this slide. That's not slides. going in.
0: That's not going in. <sighs> hey, you can't put it in now, Ezra. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Micro Machines podcast. And today, we have our first non-tank uh, subject. So, Greg, I will let you take it away on this one.
1: Alright, as Dennis said, welcome to our very first ever non-tank episode. This is going to be over the Corsair, uh, arguably the best uh, propeller aircraft to ever be conceived. Uh, Let's go ahead and get some introductions, gentlemen.
0: Well, I'm Dennis. I'm recording from Ontario right now, and I'm drinking a nice fizzy lime water. I'm Jack.
2: I'm also in Ontario, and I've got some normal water that is not
3: fizzy i'm callum i'm in new zealand and i don't have any drinks with me because i fucked up damn it
4: callum <laughs> i'm ezra i'm in new mexico and i have no drinks either
1: damn it ezra Damn, y'all are failing mana sorry uh, I'm your... jack <laughs> <laughs> yes you should be sorry Right, well, I'll be the slide host today, Mr. Greg, um, SoCal, drinking some coffee, because I came prepared. Ezra, Jack. What? No, I'm prepared. No, I mean, Callum. Cal, I'm sorry, fuck. You dragged me under the bus. <laughs> yeah, just like you're dragging that toe behind you. <laughs> <laughs> so if you'll uh, take a look at the first slide, well, here we looks got an MMP, yes, well, MMP formation. Yes, well. formation. Dennis, if you wouldn't mind uh, clarifying each Corsair force, my friend.
0: Okay, well, this is the uh, special air squadron of the Micro Machines podcast. In the uh, front, you can see our glorious leader, Greg, uh, lost in the anime world. Up directly behind him, coming up number two, we've got Jack towing our ground support. Number three, we've got, uh, I'm not going to acknowledge anything in number three. Um, number four, you've got uh, Callum. Uh, Dragon, his uh, Corsair nuts, and number five, you can see. Actually, it's Shunsaku, our pet red panda, and me pretending to be a Corsair, but in fact, we're a zero, and we're gonna go airstrike the Ravel factory.
1: Pro yeah. Harbor Point two, yes, sir. <laughs> All right. So, if you don't mind switching slides for me, dennis thank you very much. <clears throat> All right. So, to start off the episode, I thought it might be a good idea to talk talk about the. Uh, general specifications based off of the F4U4 Corsair. There were like 16 variants of this thing. Uh, So the general characteristics, you got a crew of one, links about uh, 33 foot, 8 inches, wingspan is 41 feet, height is 14 feet, 9 inches, wing area is 314 square foot, Empty weight is 9,205 pounds. Gross weight, 14,670 pounds. Max Gross. takeoff weight, 14,533 pounds. That's a lot of fucking bombs. Um, power plant is the... We'll get into that part later. Uh, <laughs> performance, <laughs> max speed, 446 miles per hour. Cruise speed, 215. Stall speed, 89 Range one thousand five miles. Combat range three hundred twenty-eight miles. Service calling or service ceiling is 41,500 feet, and rate of climb is four thousand three hundred and sixty foot per minute. The armament for this bad boy: you have six fifty-caliber machine guns, three in each wing, uh, four hundred rounds per gun. Uh, you could also get. Uh, M3 cannons, you can get 8 to 5-inch or eight five inch rockets, and then 4,000-pound bombs. I think you can get up to one 4,000-pound bomb, I think you can get through two 500-pound bombs. Uh, four 75-pound bombs, I think, is what they could carry as well. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the general specifications <clears throat> for all the, uh, the War Thunder nerds out there. So it does
0: it all. It's fast, it's got a good range, and it's a ground pounder. Oh, absolutely.
1: This thing does it all. we love to see it.
0: Jack of all trades.
1: Quite literally. All right. So let's talk about the development of this thing. Bear with me. I suck at reading. In February of 1938, the U.S. Naval Bureau of Aeronautics began soliciting new fighter aircraft proposals with global conflict on the horizon. The Navy requested that the maximum attainable speed and stalling speed be not any lower than 70 miles per hour. A range of 1,000 miles was also specified. The fighter had to carry four guns or three with increased ammunition. Provision had to be made for anti-aircraft bombs to be carried in the wing. These small bombs would, according to thinking in the 1930s, be dropped on enemy aircraft formations. That's incredible. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I read that and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> uh, let's see. <clears throat> in June of 1938, the U.S. Navy signed a contract with Vought for a prototype bearing the factory designation V-166B in February of 1939, one year after the Navy's proposal, construction of the XF-4U-1 powered by the xr prototype of the Pratt & Whitney R-2800 Double Wasp began. When the prototype was completed, it had the biggest, most powerful engine, largest propeller, and the largest wingspan of any naval aircraft to date. Uh, The first flight of the XF-4U-1 was made on May 29, 1940, with Liam A. Bullard Jr. at the controls. Ah, uh, the flight proceeded normally until a hurried landing was made when the elevator, yeah, elevator trim tabs failed because of flutter. Oh, that would do it. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> yep. I will say, going back to talking about size, I have seen no the Corsair in person. It is <laughs> quite a big aircraft.
1: <laughs> dude, they're like, like no dude, joke. Like, oh, I was it, surprised right. how big it is. Yeah, on a serious note, like, you look at this thing, you're like, oh, that's, that's like, a, a really neat aircraft. But it, this thing is, like, especially for being put on an aircraft carrier, like, even with the wings folded, mm-hmm. this thing mm-hmm. is huge.
0: You know, I actually noticed that with uh, aircraft carrier aircraft from the Second World War, you know, you think of, like, the F-14, which was, you know, the biggest carrier, like, fighter jet, and I think it was. It was at least close, and that was a huge aircraft, right? And you can kind of see that just looking at it. But you look at, say, the Corsair. You look at the Avenger <clears throat> torpedo Bobber, Even the Dauntless. These are all massive aircraft, but oh, like the they Avengers. just don't look like
1: it. Yeah. No. No. But uh, they're on the left-hand side. Oh yeah, Whoa. no worries. Whoa. The uh, <laughs> the XF4U1 <laughs> <one> prototype <laughs> in 1940 to 41, showing its more forward cockpit location. So, uh, just a little history lesson. They moved the cockpit back. You can kind of see it in the picture below that, the two Corsairs in flight. Uh, They moved it back for reasons we will talk about later. Beautiful. All right. (laughs) 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 Development part two. (laughs) (laughs) We all know a certain someone who likes to take interest in developing objects (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh,
1: <geez>. oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I couldn't pass that, that one up, I'm sorry. That was the best joke I've heard all day.
4: <laughs> Someone we'll put
1: that in the quotes. Oh.
4: <laughs> 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 okay. <clears throat> ah, yeah. Mm, I'd like to remind you, we are a comedy podcast.
2: For audio listeners, there is a picture of Michael Jackson
1: in a Corsair cockpit. (laughs) All right, so uh, development part two on October 1st, 1940, the XF-4, this always fucking fucks me up. It's like a tongue twister. The XF-4U-1 became the first single engine US fighter to fly faster than 400 miles per hour flying at an average ground speed of 405 miles an hour the Impressive. prototype I, I know right the prototype also had an excellent rate of climb although testing revealed some requirements would have to be rewritten in full power dive test <clears throat> speeds up to 550 miles an hour were achieved but not without damage to the control surfaces and access panels and in one case an engine failure that, that's Despite, weight
0: reduction, right there it doesn't matter Facts. <laughs> uh,
1: the spin recovery I don't think standards... that counts as an achievement oh <laughs> they, they sure did <laughs> the uh the spin <laughs> recovery system yeah the spin recovery standards also had to be relaxed as recovery from the required two-turn spin proved impossible so basically saying the way the wings are like kind of canted like that it was extremely hard for the aircraft to recover when it was you know failing versus like a p51
3: didn't it also have a tendency when it was coming into land of um like spinning uh like barrel rolling basically to port side yes yes that yeah yeah like the left Uh, will suddenly drop when they're about to hit the deck
1: oh yeah there's a video on youtube about the corsair it's like a 12 minute video and they have a clip of that actually showing the corsair coming in for a landing and it starts to tip but it lands but with the way the the wing was tipping and the way it hit the deck, it turned hard, and like it, it hit the uh, the right wing on the uh, the command deck and kind of blew up. But uh... just kinda.
0: Yeah, especially like World War II aircraft carriers, there was no room for error. If like you came in at even just a slightly wrong direction, you were heading into either the bridge or you're heading off the deck.
1: Lol, get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, <clears throat> reports coming back from the war in Europe indicated an armament of 2 30 caliber engine cowling mounted machine guns and 2 50 caliber guns was insufficient. The Navy's November 1940 production proposal specified heavier armament. The improvements included 3 50 caliber machine guns mounted in each wing panel, totaling of 6 50 cal machine guns. It's a lot of fucking firepower well, coming your it's way. It's
0: worth noting that, like you, you when the uh, Second World War began, the fifty-cal machine gun was like more or less unheard of. I mean, you had some aircraft which had cannon, uh, but at this point, the standard was really seven point six two, you know, caliber thirty-seven point nine two. Like oh, yeah. so the twelve point seven millimeter fifty-cal was like completely out of like of the world for a lot of, like, air forces to deal with. And, you know, you see the American aircraft with, like, the 6 or the 8 50 cal. cals. So those things could do a huge amount of damage.
1: in a short burst, too, because you got six of them things, and you just squeeze the trigger for a second and let go. That's a lot of rounds going downrange. Well, I remember um, reading about one pilot who was
0: basically... He had flown, I think it was the Spitfire, which had four 20-millimeter cannons later in the war, right? And mm. he had also flown a... Uh, I think it was a P-51, which had six-caliber fifties, And he said unequivocally every time he would take the caliber 50s because even though they didn't say have the same punch as a cannon shell you could carry a lot more ammunition for them
1: oh yeah oh yeah that was a major problem because in the early earlier times of the war uh they would mount 20 mil cannons and but it would like for the germans they would mount one or even two but they would only carry a total of like i think it was 80 to 120 rounds and that goes by pretty quick uh Versus here, I think you can carry twenty four hundred rounds of fifty caliber ammo in the Corsair. That's a lot of ammo.
2: Yeah, if you've ever played uh,
3: Air Realistic. Uh, so to War continue Thunder.
1: on with the development slide, we have the. Let's see, where did I leave off at? Uh, see, it's, it's funny pedagraph. the
3: amount of ammo that aircraft carried. Um, like, it still choose it, choose through it really quick. Um, I remember reading something about the Spitfire you had 20 seconds of um, ammo. So it had, you know, a couple thousand rounds, but in total their firing time was about 20 seconds. So you'd have maybe, so they'd fire them in maybe two, three second bursts, and then that was it. You know, you'd...
1: Oh, you'd have to,
3: yeah. So they, they so like those long battle scenes where they've been flying for hours, no, they were, uh, they'd be in a formation for a couple minutes and then that was it.
1: <clears throat> like, yeah, it was really, really oh, yeah. short. Yeah, that's something... Uh, there's a game that'll come up later in the slides. Uh, it's very accurate in that aspect. Like, you go up with a certain amount of rounds flying, and then once you're out, you gotta go back down, land, uh, and rearm and refuel and all that before you can go back up, because your fuel and ammo goes by so fast. And, War Thunder, yeah, like, and seen these movies where they're fucking... If y'all have seen Pearl Harbor, right, the movie? No. No.
3: I've oh. seen Tora Tora well, Tora, but not
1: Pearl Harbor. Oh, never mind, I won't spoil it then. But uh, basically, it's very inaccurate aircraft combat. But, uh, yeah. Anywho. Uh, so, formal U.S. Navy acceptance trials for the... Uh, XF-4U-1 began in February of 1941. <clears throat> the Navy entered into a letter of intent on March 3rd of 1941 and received uh, Vout's production proposal on April 2nd and awarded Vout a contract for 584 F-4U-1 fighters, which were given the name Corsair, inherited from the f- the firm's late 1920s vout O to U Naval Biplane Scout. The first production, F-4U-1, performed its initial flight a year later on June 24, 1942. It was a remarkable achievement for Vought. Compared to land-based counterparts, carrier aircraft are overbuilt and heavier to withstand the extreme stress of deck landings.
0: That always seemed like funny to me. Like you think about, it, you're on an aircraft carrier, right? You would want your aircraft to be as small and light as possible, but that wasn't the case in real life. Like they were, they were really, really durable and rugged machines.
1: Oh yeah, it, seeing like the Corsair, for an example, uh, land on an aircraft carrier, it, it, that thing just like plumps down. It's not like because you, you, like Dennis said, you would think it just come in and like land and like because they had the hook it, it grabbed onto, right? But to uh just in case they never caught that they would have to come in so slow and half the time they would just like basically belly flop without turning over onto the deck and then have to like move the thruster up to move forward it's kind of crazy yeah if you don't mind clicking the next slide please i mind so much why would you even ask me that Uh, well i I, because dennis because that's why Hey, can you guys hear me? Uh, yes.
3: Oh, I know. I just-
1: yes, we can hear you. <laughs> uh, get
0: a bit closer to the mic, Jack. You're a bit quiet.
3: <laughs> Do oh You yeah, want yeah, to put fair.
0: something in there before
1: we continue? Turned it up.
2: No, yeah, I was just my just internet was cutting this out. One so. one section. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, Callum, if when you were uh working on this, go ahead and uh just cut out till now. Noted. All right, so. Mm very well. All right, so the engine, propeller and landing gear as well as performance. <clears throat> so the F4U incorporated the largest engine available at the time, the 200 horse, 2000 horsepower, 18 cylinder Pratt and Whitney 2-2800 double wasp radial. The max to maximize as much power as possible, a relatively large Hamilton Standard hydro matic three-blade propeller of 13 feet and 4 inches, which is 4.6 meters, was used. While the engine certainly enhanced the aircraft's performance, it presented problems on other design elements. Since the propeller was exceptionally large, it was challenging to make the landing gear struts long enough to provide Too the large. proper ground clearance. Aha, uh-huh, aha. Uh-huh. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Basically, propeller was a bit too big <laughs> ha, 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 oh, for uh, the ground oh, clearance.
0: We should all be so lucky. <clears throat> Alright.
1: So, this is a V 22 Osprey moment. Basically. Uh, so, to solve this problem, the designer switched to an inverted gull wing. Uh Performance The performance of the Corsair was superior to most of its counterparts. The F4U 1 was considerably faster than the. F6F Hellcats and only 13 miles an hour slower than the Republic uh, P47. I was gonna, I always want to say P51D, but P47 Thunderbolt. All three were powered by the R2800, but whereas the P47 oh, achieved we're its highest. Uh, I get this part out as well, I'm afraid. Yep, yep, no problem.
2: Hey, yeah, my internet
0: just keeps dying. I don't know what happened uh you just got nuked for like a quick second you're back now
2: oh that no. was me that was greg yeah, that was can you me. hear me
0: yep fuck okay that's okay we can all get rid of it in post okay what did y'all hear last uh <coughs> you were talking about you got like the f4u and that was it like the second okay. sentence of performance okay so
1: we'll just start back on restart performance we'll cut this out as a prank keep it in oh that'd be such a dick move <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. All right, y'all y'all ready?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. All right. So the performance, the performance of the Corsair was superior to most of its counterparts. I I totally fucked. That up. <laughs> <laughs> Contemporaries fuck. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so the Corsair was superior to all of its fucking peers. How about that? The uh, F4U1 the f <laughs> the F4U one was considerably faster than the Hellcat and only 13 miles an hour slower than the P47 Thunderbolt. All three were powered by the R2800, but whereas the 47 achieved its height speed at just a little over 30,000 feet with the help of a intercooled, turbocharged engine, the Corsair reached its maximum speed at 19, almost 2,000. Ah, fuck, almost 20,000 feet, using a mechanically supercharged engine. All right, please get me off of this fucking slide. (laughs) The cursed slide. (laughs) Basically, Uh, all right. Wikipedia, I love it. Oh yeah. (laughs) Actually, this isn't from Wikipedia. This part right here, believe it or not. I listened to a, a documentary and wrote all this down. So <laughs> no, kind of why it took so long. That down. <laughs> 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 That's kind of why it took me forever to do the slides. Uh, production value, holy shit. Thank you. All right, so the whistling death, the nickname of the Corsair. In September 1942, the Corsair started its carrier qualification trials. Several problems arose with the landing gear, tail hook and tail wheel. Since the Hellcat was coming into service in the Navy at the same time, the Marine Corps deterred the Corsair release until all landing problems were resolved. Uh, The Corsair finally entered island-based Marine service in the southwest Pacific at the end of 1942. It began flying in large numbers over the Solomon Islands in 1943. Marine pilots loved the Corsair, especially since the speed and armament gave it a swift advantage over the Japanese A6M0. Oh yeah, that's that's actually a little proud Marine moment for me. I'm pretty happy about that. The the Corsair quickly became famous as it ranked up impressive kill numbers against the enemy. The Corsair got the nickname Whistling Death due to the air running through its wing-modded intake slots while flying at high speeds. This gave the aircraft a unique sound, thus prompting the Japanese to tag the fighter with the nickname, allegedly. So basically with that, Americans claim that breaking Japanese code and whatnot, the corsair. They would always, anytime the Japanese encountered the corsair, they would hear uh, the whistling death. There have been people try to disprove that, but um, it's it's still up in the air as to this day. Well,
3: but we uh, keep it because I can confirm the uh, like what the sound is like because I was at an air show in Auckland. No, not in Auckland, Tauranga, and you had the crowd facing the runway and they we've got a flying corsair marked up in new zealand colours and they came up from behind the audience and you didn't hear it until it was on top of you it was amazing like no wind up oh, i nothing. That was. it was just suddenly it was just this <laughs> fucking corsair was right on top of you scared the shit out of everyone it was a good time who's <laughs> yeah, Corsair? I found the Corsair
0: on top of me as well <laughs> uh, Yeah, honestly
3: him well, went... who's Corsair? Pardon? Who's Corsair? Uh, it's New Zealand one so, uh, I think it's owned by New Zealand warbirds down in Tauranga uh, Sweet
0: uh, Callum, nice. I have Quick digression, they also are restoring the uh, Mosquito, correct?
3: Uh, has been restored it's... Bloody Americans have them have it now? <laughs> but there is, there is a non-flying mosquito like There's a non-flying flying mosquito in the museum in Auckland that which they've restored but the one that flies is now in actually i think it's in California. No way. Um I've got I'm going to have to go find picture of it great joint But <laughs> now if you want to hear a decent engine uh two Rolls-Royce Merlins at full speed a hundred feet above you. Now that is something to. Uh, yeah, that is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I had to watch the mosquito flying for the first time, and that was a good time. Makes your panties moist, huh? Oh boy, did it! <laughs> boy did it! The elastic on my underwear just. Uh, came it off. <laughs> <laughs> Step back, everyone! You're in the splash zone.
0: So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. All right, so the uh, the Corsair was only used by the Marines until the Navy started using it in 1943. In 1944, the aircraft was certified for carrier ops. In addition to being a fighter, the Corsair ext- yeah, extensively worked as a fighter-bomber. It was vital in providing close air support to troops slugging their way through the islands of the Pacific. On the morning of May 10th, so real quick, this is a really... Neat story that I didn't believe at first. Had to do some research to make sure this was, like, true, and it it definitely is. Uh, So on the morning of May 10th, 1945, two Marine Corps pilots, Captain Kenneth Rooster and 1st Lieutenant Robert Klinklin, he has a weird-ass name, went on a combat air patrol 10 miles away from the Kaneda Airfield. Spotting vapor trails, the two aircraft went up to investigate. Now, keep in mind, they had a total of four aircraft. But the other two pilots weren't as experienced as these guys, so they kept them on the patrol route while they went up and investigated. Uh over thirty eight hundred feet. 38,000 feet in the air, the two intercepted a Kawizaka Ki-45, who tried to outrun them going north. The Corsairs fired off half of their ammunition to lighten the aircraft in order to keep up with the Ki-45. <laughs> 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 the Almost most like American destroyed. thing ever. <laughs> 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 oh, <God. laughs> Imagine that, you're you're the American war machine, you're like, eh, I can waste, you know. 1400 rounds just fucking it. Okay. <laughs> drops all my bombs shoots all my rockets <laughs> i really uh, hate this ki-45 <laughs> <laughs> i have to catch up to it it's like that one guy who keeps killing you in a video game so you just have to keep going after him
2: fuck this one ki-45 in particular
1: honestly <laughs> uh, so the uh let's see uh, so yeah, they fired off all their ammo to try to keep up to it. Uh, Rooster got close enough to hit the Ki Forty Five and damage its right wing. Uh, Klinglin used no, his right wing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh god, you gotta add some like War Thunder fucking voiceovers. We need
2: anyway. a War Thunder soundboard.
1: We do. <laughs> Klingland used his propeller to uh, bring the Ki-45 down while Rooster flew above to distract the Japanese pilot. Klingland sliced into the Ki-45's rudder with his propeller. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I
0: mean, I know they
1: built these things tough, but like that's a whole other level. Imagine being 38,000 feet into the air and you fired off over half your ammo, which means you still have half of it, and you're like, ah, fuck it. I'm going I'm to make sure he goes down. This is personal. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Fuck this guy.
1: <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, God. So uh, he sliced into the rudder with his propeller. Two more passes like this eventually took off the rudder and the right stabilizer. <laughs> KI-45 then crashed into the Pacific Ocean just miles off the coast of Okinawa. Despite damaged wings and bullets to the engine, Klinglin without power going to the propeller directly from the engine. The Corsair was eventually repaired and returned to service. Both pilots were awarded the Navy Cross, which in America is the second highest honor in battle, for their actions that day. The Corsair gained the another nickname, the Angel of Okinawa, for its role in the battle. And you can see up there on the top right, got a nice picture of a Corsair with the Angel of Okinawa written on the left-hand side of the engine.
4: Can I just say, imagine being that one Japanese pilot who's just looking over as your wings getting chewed off... I'd, I'd be cursing my emperor.
2: They're so yeah. yeah. They're using Japanese war tactics against them. Yeah, like
1: God damn it! I was supposed to be the kamikaze. <laughs> All right, so uh, the war record from World War II. The this data surrounding. Right. What's up?
4: <gasps> oh yeah, that was right. right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the data <laughs> surrounding the Corsair's performance is staggering. By the end of World War II, the Corsairs were credited with over was taken down over two thousand one hundred and forty Japanese aircraft against only one hundred and eighty nine losses, an impressive kill ratio of eleven to one. During its service in the conflict, the Corsair flew sixty four thousand fifty one sorties, of which only fifteen percent were from aircraft carriers. The Corsair dropped over 15,500 pounds of bombs during the war, accounting for 70% of total bombs dropped by US fighters. It also served other Allied armies, such as El Salvador, Argentina, France, Honduras, New Zealand, United Kingdom, United States, Canada, and apparently Ezra's Reich, as we saw in the first slide. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, interesting uh, you know aside regarding Canadian Corsairs. So Canada didn't actually have the Corsair um, as in the uh, Royal Canadian Air Force, but we did have them in the Royal Canadian Navy, which was and basically what happened was you had a bunch of Canadian pilots who flew uh, British Royal Navy Corsairs off of British carriers in the Pacific. And um, in the Second World War, the second last uh, Victoria Cross that was awarded to a Canadian, was uh, awarded to a one Robert Hampton Gray. Um, and you can see basically here on these two bottom foes, you've got uh, the first one, which is a profile of his aircraft, number 115. And right below that is uh, basically an artist rendition of the action that earned him the Victoria Cross, which is the highest, or, highest honor of battle that you can get in the British Commonwealth. Um, and essentially what happened was on August 9th, 1945, in the Miyagi Prefecture of Japan, uh, Lieutenant Gray uh, flying the F-4U, uh, he led an attack on a group of Japanese naval vessels sinking the uh, escort ship M- Amakusa before his plane crashed into the bay. So he was uh, his plane was hit by any aircraft fire, and he had to uh, crash, and he was unfortunately killed in that, but um, he basically, you know, he had some aircraft as wingmen, but he more or less single-handedly attacked. A um, not just one, but on multiple Japanese ships, he caused a huge number of casualties. And this one little, you know, not little, but this you know, this one carrier fighter sunk an entire ship. Uh, yeah. So, Fuck yeah, yeah. Canadian legend. Um, I'm proud enough to say that I actually helped a guy make a remote controlled. I think it was a two meter wingspan remote controlled uh, Corsair model with those exact markings, and uh, yeah, you can see it if you're in the Oshawa area. Uh, you can see it flying sometimes.
1: If you ever get a picture of it, please do send it to us. I will, yes.
3: Yeah, so New Zealand, we only had uh, one squadron of Corsairs. That was squadron number 22. And they were formed in June ni- 19th of June, 1944, and disbanded in September 1945. So our Corsairs, they were all stationed at several airfields, including Guadalcanal, Bougainville, Imaru, and espiritu santo is that how you pronounce it espiritu oh fuck it espiritu santo so close enough oh yeah so the photo that you see second bottom the colored one that is the new zealand one we have that i told that i uh, mentioned earlier
1: the one with the the teal
3: circle yep, yep. so nice <clears throat> because the reason all the uh Commonwealth, using the roundels, had to get rid of the... you know why they had to get rid of the red circle part of the roundel? Why is that? It because when they were flying with Americans, all Americans saw was the red little dot and thought they were red. Japanese and tried to shoot them down. So <laughs> You're the kidding. Commonwealth pilots- using the British roundel, had to get rid of the red dot in the centre because the uh, Americans kept thinking they were Japanese, even though they they could have been even flying the same bloody aircraft.
0: You've got, like, a formation of F-4Us. You've got uh, a bunch of American Marine Corps F-4Us, and they're all flying, like, three meters apart from each other, right? And suddenly a Canadian F-4U joins, and it's got the tiny, like, the smallest, like, two-centimeter-wide red circle. And all of a sudden, like, every single Marine that goes, like, Terminator mode, he's like, oh, my God, it's a Hinamaru. <laughs> yeah,
3: so, um... The start- Look, we aren't known for... Kill me, the jets. <laughs> Yeah, so at the start of the war, all, like, all naval aircraft and stuff... Did have the roundel but they quickly got rid of it because the japanese having the big red roundel and then their small little roundel yeah americans um couldn't distinguish between them for some reason like in a, hence why you see the sea fire which is basically the naval version of the spitfire
1: doesn't have a red roundel well to be fair it uh it definitely looks really cool having that that teal teal circle it definitely a distinction.
3: Oh, the teal. The, I, I actually quite like the Commonwealth Naval roundel. It's, uh, I think it's pretty good.
1: i agree.
0: Well, that was cool. I
1: like roundels. Yes. <laughs> uh, next slide, please. All right. The so the legacy of the Corsair. The Corsair was the only World War II fighter aircraft to continue production after the war's end. It served the US Navy and Marine Corps well into the 1960s. Uh, let's see. From its prototype in 1940 to its final delivery to the French in 1953, 12,751 Corsairs were manufactured in 16 different models. 11-year, Its almost 11-year production run is the longest of any U.S. piston-engine aircraft fighter. Uh, the Navy later used the Corsair for night fighting in post-World War II combat. During the Korean War, Lieutenant Guy-Pierre Bordelon Jr. was the only U.S. Navy night fighter ace of the Korean War and was the last ace to fly a propeller-driven aircraft in the 20th century. He shot down five enemy planes, and uh, they're on the right-hand side. You got two pictures of his uh, his two different Corsairs. Uh, let's see. The Corsair saw service with other countries as well into the 1960s, like when the French used them in Indochina and Algeria. The Corsair last saw combat in 1969 during the football wars between El Salvador and Honduras, The conflict Uh, coincided with riding when the FIFA World Cup qualifier during the two countries. A Corsair flown by Captain Fernando Soto shot down a P-51, one P-51 Mustang and two Goodyear FG Corsairs. The U.S. Navy officially retired the aircraft after the Korean War.
4: Can I just say that P-51 he shot down was one of the highly modified post-war ones? With like the uh, wingtip fuel tanks. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a dual seer. The missiles.
2: <laughs> Do you have a uh, picture, Ezra? Uh...
1: Of course he does.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's going to go text Don. Don, send me a picture.
2: <laughs> no, he's looking through his homework for uh, I Oh, I am. Oh, no, it's going to be the yeah, an P- go. P-51. <laughs> the anime post for P-51. Where are you
0: saying uh, to? Should I... I don't know. Should I put it in the slides? I'm not refreshing or... the slides. I don't trust you after, like, the last
4: three incidents. <laughs> <laughs> this is fair. Okay, I'll send it to podcast planning. Models. Ah, yes. Aircraft! The, uh, Wait, go! There we go. Look at that P-51.
1: Look how sleek it is. Oh god, what the fuck? No, I don't fuck with that. Yeah. That yeah. looks, that um, looks really everyone stupid. everyone
0: who is uh, listening to my <laughs> podcast, you will be glad you're not watching it right now because of that is just awful. That's an atrocity. <laughs>
3: what? I don't know. I kind of like it. it tastes- I kind of like it. No,
4: I like it. The camo is just weird. Yeah, the camo is weird. It's like a mix between an A-1 Sky Raider and a P-51. It's their bastard <laughs> child. <laughs> the inbred combo. If
1: Alabama was an aircraft. American <laughs> way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, model We've kits just oh, from Alabama. Air. Oh fuck Alabama. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, so, I've actually got two model kits. Uh, Corsairs. One was from uh, Hasegawa and two other companies like NMM or whatever combined. It was a weird little assortment uh, made in 1981. One is 72 scale. uh, You'll see later as well as the uh, Tamiya F4U-1A Corsair. They're on the bottom kind of middle with all the palm trees in the back. 1 to 48 scale. Looking forward to doing that.
3: Yeah, I've got the Academy uh, kit, which is the one that's been held in the left hand of the girl. Uh, that one's really good. That was a weekend build for me. Which will be shown <laughs> in the next slide as well. I don't have yeah, any I built the Revelle, buy your 32 um,
1: scale one for the same price you buy your seventy two scale ones for a subcopen I I'm gonna come to your your house. And I'm just going to leave it at that. You'll find out what I'll do.
4: Check your mailbox. <laughs> I built the Ravel F4U-4. Uh, and it was an absolute shit kit.
1: Well, yeah, it's Ravel.
4: The one with the polka dots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God. All right, so this is the models that we have made of the Corsair. So on the top there, you've got myself, or not self. You've got the Force Perspective of the corsair during the new georgia campaigns 1943 kind of one of its first uh, engagements near Moonda Point. and on the, the um, left that's... is mine
3: that's the academy kit uh so i've got the so i've got the earlier three-tone uh camo with which is white on the bottom then a sort of duck egg pale blue for the tail and mid surface and then dark navy blue all over the top, which was all done with earbrush. So, yeah. And
4: unlike Callum's, I have the Ravel 148 scale Corsair, <laughs> which I <laughs> built like five years ago. Um, and it was hand painted with dollar store watercolors. What? Whoa. And, yeah. Absolutely colors? no decal setting solution whatsoever. Wait, Ezra, how did you the get the... canopy um, is fogged as hell.
2: How'd you get the canopy, like, you know, the blue on the canopy? I forget what those are called. Uh With watercolors.
4: Uh Many, many layers.
2: Really? Okay, that's impressive,
4: actually. It was not fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh... This photo probably makes it look better than it did in person. So take that for what you will. Yeah. Ugh. Bad memories.
1: Hey, we all, we all build kits that we look back and regret, okay? But, uh, to be fair, it's a Corsair, and it's actually not bad. Especially for a few years ago, dude. He's lying. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think the background... Ezra, I love you to death, bro. I think the background is what's yeah. making it look like a first grade. Ezra, <laughs> uh, no, like, answer, like actually, actually
0: not a bad kid whatsoever. Like you know, you know, you could even if you want, you could even restore that and make it look you know top notch grade. Um, yes, but yeah, the background. No, not no. Any
4: favors, my boy. Oh, I said no. I couldn't. No, there were there were so many gaps in it. Like I think it got destroyed years ago. No. Well, I say
2: bring back the background again. Bring back the background You should yeah. like put your Bob Semple <laughs> in front of that Oh god <laughs> Oh that would look so good Yeah With the I mean, corsair the... uh, Still written on the front <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> That's awesome Yeah. Yeah I guess it's a good learning
1: experience Absolutely dude your next Corsair is going to be like a thousand times better than that because you're just a amazing model builder. Greg
0: and or oh, thank and you, or I definitely hope so. Buy the thirty
1: two scale Tamiya Corsair
0: and or Ezra. Please buy the thirty two scale Corsair. I
1: promise you, I will eventually do the thirty two scale. I've got the forty eight, but uh, I want to do a few aircraft that's before expensive. I venture that. Not that's me, okay. I Okay. <laughs> strength not expensive for me.
4: Isn't that thing like?
0: Isn't it's that thing uh, like two hundred and fifty bucks? Oh no, it's nowhere near that. It's uh, I think it's about hundred and thirty Canadian dollars, which is like probably in around the one hundred to one hundred and ten oh, okay. dollar range.
1: God, yeah, I want to. That's expensive. Oh, I want to get as the... I thought. I want to get the 1 to 32 scale Corsair and have it with the wings folded in on an aircraft carrier. Well, the thing is,
0: like, you know, it's expensive, right? But they give you so many detail parts. You can do that right out of the box.
4: Yep. Yep. Yeah, don't you get photo etch and, like, canopy masks?
0: Oh, yeah, you get canopy masks, photo etch, uh, metal landing gear, and uh, actual rubber tires. Oh, wow. Oh, that is nice. That is nice, okay. And they give you a nice, high-quality metal display stand if you want to have it like posed with the wheels up. That's really cool. Definitely. And you can build it. with the engine exposed, right? You can, yeah. There's full engine and cockpit interior detail. Damn. Holy crap! Okay. And they give you all the bombs and rockets as well. That's my so God. cool.
1: You can pose Get the, wing the full channels, load, like the wing
0: roots open, so you can show the ammo belts.
1: God damn! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just keep adding more and more. You're like a vacuum salesman. <laughs>
4: Oh, you can get it on eBay for 80
1: bucks. (laughs) The eBay special. Oh, God. I wouldn't trust that. (laughs) Not the eBay special. I love my eBay, but... All right. What's next? Well, Oh, yeah. Ah! Yes! All right. So, this is a little segment I wanted to add. I love virtual reality. And especially flying aircraft in virtual reality. There's a video game called Gunship sequel World War 2 and basically it's uh, you can play single or multiplayer and you can, I use the Oculus Quest 2 it's about 20 bucks and you can fly just about any aircraft that was used in World War 2 from the main uh, Germany Russia England uh, the States and uh, Japan and these are the two different Corsairs I've got so the top left it's the cockpit of the uh, the Corsair, inside and out. And then the bottom two are the, uh, the, 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 the number, oh god, the Mark 1, I think. Cut this out. Yeah, I'm, I'm brain farting. The one on the bottom's the newer one, the one on the top right's the older one, there we go. Uh-oh. Which, oh, oh god. Ezra, Leaf, Yeah,
4: Ezra? Oh, fuck. Okay, I'm back. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Okay. I got kicked out of my internet.
0: Oh, uh, we'll reload your page, because I can't see uh, your recording showing up.
2: This is professional.
0: Oh, God, if we lose half the episode, because
1: Ezra... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to my little special segment here. So, I absolutely love VR gaming. I have an Oculus Quest 2, and one of the games I really enjoy playing is called Gunship Sequel World War II. Basically, it's the closest thing you're going to get to a flight simulator on the Oculus Quest 2, uh, but it's all about World War II. So it's single-player, multiplayer. You can play basically any aircraft, uh, like major aircraft from Russia, Japan, Germany, United States, and England and one of those that's it can you fly b17 you can yeah the b17g and you can fly it you can go in any of the positions you can drop bombs shoot guns it's it's fucking fantastic can
2: you do multiplayer
1: that's yes yes you can
2: oh sweet
1: yes i've i talked to dennis the other day about this game and even sent him a a little video showing him kind of how it works he made me make a facebook account guys yeah (laughs) (laughs) it was awful finally (laughs) uh but basically, uh, the whole reason for bringing this up, one, please, everyone get an Oculus Quest 2 to get this game so we can play together, and two, uh, there are two Corsairs in the game, so the Mark 1 and the Mark 2, and the bottom uh, picture, the front and side uh, profile, is the Mark 2. You can see the rockets and the more bombs there, as well as all the Japanese flags on the left-hand side. Uh, and then the top right is the Mark 1. It does not have rockets, uh, but it does carry some bombs. And then the top left is the Corsair Mark 2 interior. They're basically the same. I think there's a little bit of a difference between the two, but you got your, uh, your gun sight, your your fucking thru- uh, thruster, or thruster, goddamn throttle, thr- throttle, thruster, I don't know. Uh, your thing that's go make you go zoom or not zoom. And then your uh handle and your rear view rear view mirror. Uh the game's absolutely a blast. Uh all of the aircraft have their own interior and the flying is uh extremely realistic. So this this thing does stall a lot when you're trying to land.
0: That looks awesome, man. It reminds me of Vile 2 Sturmovic. Oh yeah. Flipping A. Oh yeah, but well yes. We have a segment on this podcast called A Hill to Die On, where one of <laughs> us comes on with a horrible take and gets crucified for it. And uh today it's actually me who's doing the Hill to Die On. And my crappy take is that I'd like to preface this by saying I am I do not support Russia in any way, shape or form, okay? I am I am a true NATO boo uh through and through. Um however, that being said While I acknowledge that Russian tanks are brutally inferior to basically like any NATO tank whatsoever, I think they look cooler. They they just like, they just have that look to them. I like the way they look. They're cool.
1: It's the Russian vibe.
0: It's like you take the same crappy tank from the 1970s and you're slapping all of these improvements on like ERA and new thermals and all that. I like it. So yeah, I'm proud of countries like, uh, I think it's. I believe it's the Czech Republic and Poland operating Russian tanks as NATO. So I finally have an excuse to like build them. Also shout out South Korea for taking the T eighties in payment uh for for debts uh that Russia owed them after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh W uh South Korea, W Poland. Yeah. What did Germany yell at me?
1: What did East Germany do with all of their T72s after the collapse um, of the Berlin Wall?
0: I don't know what they I know what they did with their BMP ones, which was they actually put them in service like as you know the entirety of like Germany in the Bundeswehr. I don't know about the T72s. Ah, uh, I think they may have sold them. I, I could be wrong, but I think they may have sold them, but yeah, but their BMP ones are still in service actually.
3: Yeah, I'm just I'm just going to go out and say I think the Leopard looks way better than Soviet Leopard 2. Even Leopard 1 that that still counts. Oh yeah. I think that looks much better. Or just the, the Also the uh, the Challenger 2. I just yeah, my preference is on the larger tanks, larger turrets, not small and
1: fragile. To uh, combat Callum. I think the Challenger 2 looks like a lunchbox, and I never yeah. had a lunchbox as a kid, so I have the Challenger 2.
0: The Challenger 2 is like a, a, a brick. like It is far and away one of the best tanks ever built, but the way it looks, because I think it's probably because I uh, got the uh, Chobham armor on it, and it just has to look that way because of the way it, like the properties of the armor. but like, it just looks boring, you know?
1: I've got it in my stash. I got it for 10 bucks, but there's a reason I haven't built it yet.
0: Also, normalize putting machine guns on everything. That's why I'm here to say.
3: Oh, yeah. Into we need, we need to go back to That's, that. We need I to agree. go back to machine guns every, everywhere. Yeah, back to the M2. Did you know that the. the,
4: the I mean. talking hull
3: machine gunners again. Oh, oh. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I agree.
4: Well, talking about, like, Russian tanks, did you know that Vietnam still uses T 54s? Oh, yeah. But they are upgraded. And they look sick. They use T 34s bro. What, what are you talking about? Leos.
0: Leos, which is right on the border, used T 34s right up until like a couple of years ago. No, they, they still oh, use them. A- wow,
2: Ezra, that's sick. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> look that at that.
1: That is really weird looking. What the fuck? Ezra's it even has a the little uh, chains. Oh god.
4: <laughs> oh, it has the chains on the back of the turret. Look this at is- that. More it's
0: really, it's, so it's incredible. Like to uh, Marine Corps T fifty five.
1: Honestly, <laughs> really, yeah. Honestly, God.
0: I will say this: the T fifty five is one of the nicest looking tanks ever built. It just has that utilitarian look to it. It, it looks good.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah,
3: I, I will. I will bow down to that. I the T fifty five and fifty four do look really cool. How like when T seventy two, baby. It's kind of like the quintessential design, you know?
1: Or no, T55. that's the Sherman. That's the Germans, yeah, yeah, Germans are nice. Yeah,
4: <laughs> but yeah, you know what I'm else like, are nice?
1: Stugs. Nope. <laughs> hey, hey, hey,
2: hey!
1: Let's let's appreciate this moment. He didn't mention a single Stug until now.
0: I thought yes. he was going to say Tiger. To be honest, <laughs> July twenty fourth. Be there or yeah. be square. I'm going to demolish Ezra in front of a public audience.
4: Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I can't wait. I love getting demolished on air. Hey, yo, that's kind of sus. <laughs> so, subscribe to our
0: OnlyFans. Uh, well, uh, that was my hell to die on. No one really killed me. Some people like threw a few spitballs at me. Um, you know, some old McDonald's wrappers. I, I don't know.
1: Callum kind of took a pop shot at me? you. Callum, uh, <laughs> tell me
0: your strongest opinion right now on me. Like, come on, man. Make me suffer for this opinion. And he can't because he's dead. <laughs> World That's Fortune music. <laughs> <on>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh wow! Well.
0: Before anyone can disapprove of me, uh, this these are this week's works in progress. Ah, uh, sweet. Wait, I'm first.
2: Okay. Oh. Um that is my m5 project the one that i mentioned in what like episode two like it's been it's been a long time uh i'm gonna try to be quick but this is basically just the uh the pre-shading and the all the like add-ons we've got sandbags ammo cans we got a wagon wheel which is kind of sick uh yeah i'm gonna have to spend like an hour justifying putting a wagon wheel on my m5 to dawn in the uh whips chat but we'll we'll see uh i'm really
1: excited for this
2: yeah i am too honestly i'm gonna put a lot of time into this one get it show worthy and all that i've got a nice uh nice big old piece of wood uh for the base Mm. yeah Got it us sanded us down. <laughs> yeah. So it's basically the skeleton there. Gonna add bushes. It's it's I'll I'll keep you all updated.
0: Looking forward nice. to seeing it, man. Have you been able to use that vice yet?
2: Oh yeah. All the notice the barrels drilled?
0: Yes, uh, I see that. Oh, yeah. that's good to see. Oh yeah. I gotta get me one of those.
2: Oh, they're worth it. <laughs>
0: um yeah. Ah, oh, look at that. Uh, this is the one I've been working on. Uh Greg and I have basically been spitballing this whole thing of like if you play Arma 3, the uh the video game, um there's kind of this island nation in it called Tanoa and it's more or less it, it's just uh discount Fiji. Um but yeah, this is kind of like <laughs> a T55 I've been working on. Um yeah, and I've just been more or less making it as sort of this like uh Tanoan Discount Fiji T55. Got the uh Got the modified figure. He got some Israeli parts on there. he Got some American parts. He got a an M4 with no rear sight. Uh, yeah, I think that tied in pretty well. I'm I'm trying to get better at doing the figures, but yeah. Other than that, it's just been weathered to absolute hell and uh, a lot of 3D printed parts
4: on it. All right. Oh, and homemade. Don't take this the wrong way, Dennis. Don't take it the wrong way. But I think this might be like your your best model. Oh no, I fully agree with that. My models are crap. This one's It's just
1: <laughs> Dude, I This one is a masterpiece. I know I've kind of got a little involvement, so at least in the idea of this. Uh but I I just I I love this tank. Like the blue and the green, the backstory, it just all flows so well. Like look at that thing. Definitely. It's got
2: the Google Earth tank. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh have a google logo on all the fucking wheels (laughs)
0: Well, you know what it's (laughs) still what did you
4: oh what did you use for the foliage Um,
0: that was just actually ak stuff so they make these things where basically like you tear them apart it's kind of like a mixture of static grass and just like little tiny leaves sprinkled in and And oh that's cool that apart and then glued it in very Um, nice it works well though for 35th scale it works really really well
1: Oh, yeah, it looks perfect. perfect. Are you going to add anything need... else to it, or are you going to keep it Dude, as this is? This is not
0: even 50% done. I still have to make the base for it. I'm going to do even more weathering. I'm going to add even more foliage. I'm going to add things like palm fronds and, uh, you know, big uh, jungle, tropical plants to it. Um, I What kind of base are you thinking? Pardon me? What kind of base are you thinking? Oh, not a big one. I don't really do well with big bases, but I'm thinking probably, you know, you know, some reddish, you know, kind of red earth. You get some tropical plants in there. Maybe even a tiny puddle or two.
2: Ooh. You know,
0: just something to more or less set it down on, if that makes any yeah. sense. Help bring the environment into play. Yeah, exactly. But this is... So kind of like what I did for my yeah, Bob's exactly. It's, it's more or less just something to, you know, kind of hold the model. It's a but, vignette. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
1: But I will say oh. It, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, just real quick for everyone. Uh... This where Dennis and I are, are making this into like a, a little, I guess you can say like a series. So if you want to hop on board with this, just let us know. Uh, I'm going to be building the Tamiya T-62. Got it built already. Just need to paint it and whatnot. Basically following in Dennis's footsteps. Um, But yeah, if you'd like to, to get on with it, just please let us know. We'd love to oh, yeah. make this like a series. And I will be building either the Hobby Boss AA-7V
0: or the Tamiya IS-2 as another one of these. Like, quite literally, anything will go. We will send you all the the lore, if you yes. want. So get on the Discord and ask us to talk to you about uh, the Tanoan Marine Corps. <laughs> right, we should do a group build for this.
1: I agree. I. What do you think? In like oh, a yeah. year, we start getting some models set up as examples, and then... Yes. Yeah. Yep. yeah we'll, right. we'll see you in about a year or so. We'll do it.
4: <clears throat> oh guys what's up Tanya's releasing a new kit oh which really? one a comment
0: yeah what Where uh, have you been at hold on i'm gonna fact check this guy real quick to me uh, <laughs> oh my <God>. this guy is <laughs> me so hard right now
1: boy where have you been ezra
4: See, you can't say that about me because Dennis doesn't know and he's I the Tamia Tamiya fanboy.
0: What I'm saying is, is I was on the Tamiya website today, not like five hours ago. Tamiya.
1: Dennis, we've talked about this.
0: <laughs> Japan. Okay, I'm at work, <laughs> and I can say this because I'm not on the clock right now, I just cruise to Tamia's Japanese website and I just look at their model descriptions because I can do that.
4: You're just drooling.
0: They have to, like.
4: Here's a link to ScaleMates.
0: A link to skillmates
2: Look at this.
0: Oh! I thought you meant the ME-163 comment.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, that would no, have been no,
2: cool. Yeah, I was got about to, to say. <laughs> I've got this. the Tamiya ME-163.
0: That's the wrong comment. Okay. They, they are making this, and I feel like an idiot because I actually had the uh, metal barrel from Bronco for the 77mm gun, and I used it on a kit bash. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you still have Save Kit I could probably just like Dremel it out, honestly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Throw but it in this some... It's uh...
0: to see, see uh, Tamia doing some more obscure stuff. Dude, I I almost bought the Bronco. What do you mean?
1: This is not obscure. <coughs> Compared
0: to a Sherman, it is. Compared to a Tiger, it is.
1: Yeah, how many Bronco are okay Bronco? How true. many Comet kits are out there? Like the Bronco? What else? Uh, uh, there's a Tamiya... No, there's not uh, there might be an old one no no, no. yeah there's no an old way send me like send me like hold on let
0: me let me check this
1: okay so, i looked for gonna... two days and i could well, not find that's one besides bronco
0: in one to 72 scale and that's it i will say though you know Here. i'm excited to see uh, I'm, uh... figures they're going to come out with for that that'll be fun to look at
1: oh yes Hopefully they don't remold from, like, the the Churchill or anything. They make they new might. ones. They might. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> don't yeah. get me wrong. Those are good figures, but uh, they would be nice to have some brand new ones. Oh, for sure. Well, that was my T-55. All right. Hey. So, uh, normally, I am the king of multiple slides, but... Uh, my addiction needs to come to an end. So this is my one slide, my one project. Uh, this is Kursk, my second diorama displaying Kursk. Basically, it's going to be a Russian uh, light little like scout car with uh, some Russian infantry exploiting a German uh, anti-tank flank position. Uh, <clears throat> it's going to be a trench. So the, the German position is a flank position with a uh, German anti-tank gun and an MG-42 dug in. Uh, basically, the German, there's one German sitting on the left side of the pack gun. He is the last defender. He stayed back so his boys could dip out. Uh, and then you got the, the Russians running up, getting ready to commit some war crimes. <laughs> but, That's yeah, serious. we're uh, we're getting there. Goddamn Ruskies.
4: Says the guy who loves the German stuff. I almost, I almost said Yellow Bastards, <laughs> and then I realized they're the wrong <laughs> people.
1: You know, we're going to we're gonna <laughs> have to make... Uh, if, Ezra, i got to get your phone number so I can primarily just put you in my phone <gasps> as, like... Ezra's, or the fourth Reich. I'll put you in as the fourth Reich. The
2: fourth Reich. <laughs> Bet, I'll, I'll send you my phone number. Oh, we need a group chat. Another group chat. Third yeah, group another
0: chat. group chat, other than the five
1: we already <laughs> have. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's that's my little cursed. Bio. I'm going to add some terrain <laughs> features, like uh, micro terrain here and there, so that it's not all completely flat, some barbed wire and whatnot, but it's just going to be a basic... Flank position and the Russians are exploiting. So,
2: nice one. Looks good. Thanks.
0: Well, well, we decided that, you know, to cap off this podcast, we would have a little discussion about, um, in our opinion, what makes or breaks a model. So, what will you get a model for? What will you not get a model for? Um, if you've already got it, will you build it?
4: Why will you not build it? And why?
1: I think Callum should go first. All right. Could I oh,
4: start Patrick. off? Oh, yeah. Callum, you go first. No, Callum, go first.
1: <clears throat> if well, I think, uh,
3: like, how do you how do you define what makes or breaks a model for you? Um, I think that's the first thing to, to think of is, um, I'm just bringing up a, a few notes here. Just give me one moment, please. <clears throat> But basically, like, you have to think about it as, um, you know, what what is model making to you? Is it getting a brand-new kit that you know will fit perfectly each time? Um, you know, you just build it and start painting immediately, or is it one that it's a bit older, it's not that good, you know, fit issues? you got to may, maybe remake some things that might have broken or aren't that accurate. I mean, it, it all depends on, um, you know whether that all makes or breaks it, um, you know, so like, I'll, I'll ask you guys, like, say, if you had uh, an old kit and a new kit of the same subject, what would you go for, knowing that maybe the new kit goes together, but it's a bit easier, or the older kit, which is a bit harder, but maybe slightly better, um, like, what would you guys do? Whatever's cheaper.
1: Yeah, price definitely uh, well, same, plays a factor in it. Yeah, uh, going maybe that her. as
3: well it's like the the older the newer ones are usually more expensive as well. You know, you, like you look at brand new Tacom and stuff like that, and they're expensive. The older ones are probably cheaper because you can buy them like second hand or something like that. So I mean, if say the older kit
4: needed more work but came with a full interior, and the newer one didn't have the interior, I'd buy the older one. Uh, but if I want like a quick build, I'd go with the newer.
0: Just for me, I actually yeah don't, like I will build a lot. I know, I know, I come off as like the Tamiya fanboy, and yes, it is true. The majority of kits I build are like Tamiya from like the nineties to the present day. But honestly, I will build basically any kits so long as it's not so detailed to the point where it's like a month long project to, just to build it. Because I'm more, I I think <laughs> your I'm more universal game. carrier. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> like, one of the things is, like, I've actually thought of, like, doing the uh, the uh, AA7V, right, that uh, Greg did. But then I saw the tracks, and it's like, they're so, <laughs> they're so complicated for no good reason. And they don't give you any better detail than, say, a set of length and length tracks. Like, the single biggest thing for me is just the tracks. I am not going to build a seven-part-per-length track run for say a leopard where you literally have a you can't see half of them and b they're live tracks anyways so vinyl tracks actually make more sense but yeah um I, li- I like mine where it's like they're detailed enough that you don't have to worry too much about like spending a lot of time building it but then they they lack enough detail you can actually enjoy you know adding some of your own like cast texture and stuff like that i think i'm with dennis on the whole
1: track thing i i like the detail of like like for example we most of us have done the r35 from timia in my opinion that track set is my favorite it went together really easily it shows detail uh they they put the natural sag in it now granted it that gives you very limited uh i guess like diorama ideas for it because you can't have a flat surface yeah yeah yeah, exactly so with the exception of that being a problem because me being a, a a diorama maker, I really like having variety, but I will sacrifice that variety aspect and find a way to incorporate it before I do uh even a two part track. Like that A's that A V from Hobby Boss I did, I didn't put both those pieces in the track link together. Like I I tried, it just it was just too much for me. I did the Trumpeter BMP three that had three pieces per track link, I think. And that, that took me four months just because of how annoying it was. I would gladly sacrifice
0: diorama potential to have link and length tracks. Like, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, hell. Well,
4: I just finished... Go ahead. I just finished assembling the tracks for my weasel, and they were four parts per link. But I got each side done in maybe an well, hour and a half. Certainly, like... like- it wasn't as bad as and I thought. There were
0: different manufacturers and like the way they approached individual link tracks. You, you, you get some like attack on weasel, right? You know, for, uh, for a few factories, it's like the size of them. Correct me if I'm wrong. They were pretty well engineered, right?
4: Okay, they were beautifully engineered, but it's tiny. But
0: I, I th- like these are the narrowest yeah. tracks I've so ever they seen. They've Got like say a company like Tamiya. when they do individual link tracks, they're all pre-cut in a bag. All you have to do is click them together, and they're workable like that, right? Or then you have a company like uh, Meng. Or Dragon's Market. Yeah, exactly. And then you have a company like Meng where their individual link tracks are actually not workable. You have to glue them together in a run. But even that is honestly like, I think that's acceptable, just like leaving them like non-workable because you still get a detail album. But then you've got a company like Hobby Boss. um, (laughs) They're using individual link tracks as a crutch. Like they're using it as an excuse to just like put less effort into molding. And then make you do all the work, if that makes and sense. And then charge you more because it's quote detailed. Exactly.
1: When you literally don't need it. Yeah. right. I can't wait for you, Dennis, to actually build that AAV and to get your final opinion on it. Because I'll i be honest, I don't like generalizing. Like, like for example, I don't like to generalize, let's say, Tamiya for being bad for one reason. Because one or two kits are bad, right? But Hobby Boss, I every kit I've built from Hobby Boss or seen someone else build like, 8 out of 10 times, if there's something that's majorly wrong with it, like, the AAV track links, the AAV fucking 15 Mark 19 turret siding not fitting, the interior walls not fitting, uh, the the back ramp wall uh, having, like, a quarter-inch gap. Like, it's ridiculous. But, yeah. I...
4: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, their Canadian... Uh... Leopard kits are not bad. The Leopard kits themselves are great,
0: and the Leopard Two A Six in particular had great vinyl tracks. And it makes me wonder why did they That's not use true. those same vinyl tracks on all the other Leopard kits? That molds literally exist. It is easier for you to simply not develop
3: a new mold. <laughs> well, I guess that leads on to like, you know, Nick, Nick's part of um like what is considered good and bad in a kit like what what's your limit what what's something you won't take whether it's um say if it's i'm currently working on the tamiya Yag panther the old one and on when i clip the two hull hubs together i've got maybe a three four millimeter gap in the front and the back but I can work uh, with that. Um, like, what? What's something that you guys see in a in a kit that immediately you will go no? Like, what, not what's, including what's, tracks. What's, what's your breaking point?
4: Oh, I've got um, more than four part track links. Okay.
2: Uh, well, I've got a bit of a story. So, personally, I'm not very picky. As long as it's like. Somewhat affordable. I'll just build it. I'll do it. It doesn't matter. Uh, I'm not very picky when it comes to models. I don't care. I'm a ship modeler. I'll do. I'll spend four months doing tracks if it if I have to. It doesn't matter.
4: Did you say ship modeler or ship modeler? Uh, shit, however you want to hear it.
2: I I couldn't. However hear. you want to hear it. Shit or ship. Uh, but yeah, I. So my second ever commission build. It was a Ravel uh, USS Constitution in one ninety sixth scale, and I kid you not, the flashing was so bad that the uh, like the sprue was just completely like filled in.
4: Oh it was no! Completely it's filled. a vac form kit. Yeah,
2: and the plastic was so shit. It was from the seventies. Uh, a Ravel kit from the seventies. Oh, that's about my breaking point. I left out. It came with the sails and everything. I left them out. They were all cracked and everything, because I guess it's been sitting for so long. The plastic was god awful, but um, um, yeah, the flashing in that kit was horrible. Um, the whole the whole thing was just flashed over.
3: Homeboy, uh, I just bought a oh,
2: back kit, and you're not willing so to work with it here. <laughs> yeah, well, I, if, I wouldn't even call it that because it's just, um, you can tell that it, you know, wasn't meant to be that way. Some of the sprue was like cracked when I opened the box.
1: It's just a dookie ass kit.
2: Yeah. Literally, but it probably cost a lot.
1: It's a Revelle I mean, kit. It probably
2: cost a lot when they first released it. Uh it's a one ninety six scale. Yeah. It's it's a big kit. Um but yeah, I'm not very picky. I'll spend I sp- I spent eight months on that one. Uh rigging and all that. But uh that's about my breaking point right there.
3: I think it also depends on, like, the subject itself, um, whether or not you want a particular model of a particular vehicle or not. Say, for me, I am all about variety. As I, I always say, you know, for me, I don't care about the, the kit itself as long as it's more the subject I'm more interested in. And, like, I've got two IL-2 Sturmovik kits. One of them's Polish, one of them's Russian, and they are really old. Really, really old. There are uh, Deco and Scala, yeah. uh, And I've had a look at the uh, had a look at the plastic. There's uh, there is quite a bit of flash on them. They're, they're they're not the the best I can see, but I'll still I'll still build them. Like I can work with. I've worked with old bad kits before, um, namely something like the Arado AR one nine six. I built uh, that was the Airfix nineteen sixty six moulding of it and it's I mean I made it look decent I think but there were a few times I got very very frustrated with it the floats had some god awful fitting to it uh, a lot of lines and seam, a lot of seam lines a lot of gaps but um like I'll, I'll happily persevere on a model if I'm in, if I'm fully interested in the subject uh for me Having a brand new, up to date kit is not the highest priority.
1: Yeah I, I I think I can agree with Callum on that part. Like, oh yeah. yeah, hell, even Jack too. Like, I I'm all about working with older kits and newer kits to make them, especially older ones. Because, like, for example, the Tamiya uh, 3.7 uh, centimeter anti tank gun, the Pack 35 slash 36 kit, that's from like the 70s like the figures are literally one mold <clears throat> like the amount of or the <laughs> the lack of detail is just ridiculous but i'm still using it because one it's a well honestly there's kind of not a better pack out there but uh like one of my one of my things i started saying when i first got into hobbies i want to show the old kits some love right cuz that's kind of like it's kind of like respecting your elders which i mean Depending on the elder, and I guess that applies here as well depending on the kit if the kit is Worthy enough like if it has some flash issues if it has some fitting issues Or whatever or it needs like different type of like if you get one with vinyl tracks And you want to do like let's say you get like a tiger one and you want to use like metal metal tracks Those are easily you know, you can easily obtain those Um And there's something special about taking a kit, and building out of the box is great and all, but there's just something about like adding either scratch-built or uh, second-hand parts to the build itself and making it kind of your own. And whether it's historical, whether it's made up, or whatever, um, as long as the kit won't give me too much of a headache... And it's not too terribly expensive. I, I, I'm, I'll, I'll build it. Like oh, you're
3: kind of, you kind of offset the cost for quality. Sometimes, if you just want something that's yeah. a bit cheaper,
1: yeah. You know, it's like um, you're, you're acknowledging, like if you're like about to cross a creek, not on a bridge. You're like, okay, I'm about to get wet, and then getting in the creek and getting pissed off that you're wet. It's like, okay, well, you, you understand, <laughs> you're buying a Ravel kit from the '70s, right, Ezra? Yeah.
3: <laughs> just, um, yeah. Um, I think there's a bit more, there's a bit more of a skill and challenge in building the older kits that aren't that refined. You know, it's, oh, definitely. You know, it's like, you know, you see people and they build the brand new Tamiya M18 Hellcat. They do it well, but it's like, yeah, but that kit is super easy to build. It's hard you to know, fuck just, up. <laughs> you can basically dry fit the whole thing and it'll stick together. Um, Whereas if you get something that's a lot older and you know fights you the whole way, but you manage to make it work and make it look decent like a newer kit, well, I think I think there's a bit more value, a bit more value in that. Yeah, that's uh, something they if took you're...
1: into consideration at the IPMS because they were like, oh, like because one guy actually brought the the Tamiya M18, and they're like, well, does he get less points because someone built some old kit? I think it was like the Puma or something. I don't know. It was some old kit from, like, the 80s. And he's like, well, do I get more points because of my ingenuity? And they they said no. Like, they're like, I understand your kit was harder to put together, but we're going based off of, like, it, it's, its appearance. Like, if you put the work in to make it better, that's great. If you didn't, then, I mean, he... he it's like taking a shortcut, right?
3: Yeah. Line, and I think that uh, would be... Okay, well... Yeah, Ezra,
4: go for it. At ArmorCon, they had a they had a special ward for whoever entered like the oldest model or like the worst model and then made it look really nice. Okay. Oh, that's nice actually. <laughs> that, that's actually, that's actually really, really cool. Yeah, that's so why, why, it was, I think yeah, it was one of the awards up there with like uh, you know, best Who German. Won? or what one. I'm not even sure. I some academy kit. I th- <laughs> Revel. I think it was the Allen SU seventy six. I might be wrong though. Hm. Well, I, I think it kind of falls
0: also to there's really two types of modelers. There are people who are who like, you know, putting the model together and like you know that process of actually constructing it. And there are people who more enjoy the painting and weathering side of it. If like, you know, this is just off of my own personal experience. I like pulling together models, right? Like I, I really enjoy that. I love you know modding them and you know adding scratch build stuff to all and all that to them. But I will always prefer the whole painting aspect of it than, you know, painting and weathering it and kind of, you know, adding that that touch of life to it um, more than I will enjoy, say, putting, your know, tracks together or adding foliage grills. Don't get me wrong. I like doing that. But I think for a lot of people, like, yes, the new Tamiya kits and the new Man kits, they're many people would say you know they're not as challenging but for a lot of people if your whole idea is just try and get the maximum amount of detail with the minimum amount of time investment in the construction so you can then get to you know painting it uh, i'd say that's for like some people like at least myself like the new stuff and that's why i do tend to build a lot of new kits also because i can afford them cope and seeve.
1: that's yeah that's a really good point too because like a lot of people don't have time to sit there and like build a I don't know, like, I guess the fucking, an old Ravel or Hobby Boss kit. Like, the AAV-7, for instance. Like, that kit, I worked maybe eight hours a day on that kit for, like, four days. Okay? Just building it. It was a pain in the dick. And some people don't have the time to do that. They just don't. Like, they work 12-hour shifts, they have a family and stuff, and they're maybe getting in 30 minutes to two hours a week modeling, if that. And they don't want to sit there and build like the AAV7 from Hobby Boss intake like 9 months to do it whenever they could pick up the I don't know the Tamiya R35 and get it done in 2 months right it's all about yeah it's all about what you are looking for as a as a modeler wait greg you, you said 8 hours out. a day yeah
2: you should try a ship model
1: no you, you can suck it you can suck it no i will never i don't ever think i'll build a ship model i really don't i might do the lha 6 the uss america that i was on during deployment but uh, that would be it that would be a
0: submarine greg those are fun they're easy you can do a lot of the ship
1: stuff with them and it's yeah okay a submarine i might do because they're basically a big tube but do the i-400
2: Do the i-400 yeah
1: i've got a big tube ezra Prove it. All right, fine. M M P. Whip
4: it <laughs> Only fans Let's go. Hey Ezra, check your DMs. No, oh, no. I already saw the feet
3: pics you sent oh, oh god. Okay. So next, I'd say the next question for this is: Say you're building a model, and it's not going right. well. It's fighting you. You're getting frustrated with really, uh, all of that what do you do with it do you a bin it or do you uh b shelf queen it do you shelf, shelf it queen length? shelf
1: queen shelf queen yeah, I've never been, been a model like, has anyone like been a model before like have you been have halfway cr- through it and
3: just went fuck it well yes i will say i have yes.
0: actually put in the bin i've just put back on the shelf but in the original box yeah
3: okay yeah that's true yeah so what what <laughs> have you what guys what have you
1: guys binned before Arc models, one to thirty-five scale, hundred and five millimeter German self-propelled mat gun. And why was that? Uh, it was. I'll be. It was just annoying. I don't know why. It's not a hard kit. It was just annoying, and it's individual track. It was right after I did the BMP three, and I started doing track links. And it's it's individual track links, but they're only one link per. Like it's only one piece per link. But I got like halfway done with one side and I was like, I can't do this. And I just put it up and I haven't touched it since. I was doing, um, to me, a
0: 1 to 48 scale Brewster Buffalo, the uh, F2A. And I bent it. Well, you know, I shelved slash bend it because of just horrible detail, horrible fit, and raised panel lines. Like I would actually be willing to put up with the detail and the fit issues, but the raised panel lines were just like, uh, yeah, too much.
3: Yeah, so, uh, yeah. I remember you. You bought. I remember you buying that one, and you were pretty excited to build it. And then we never heard of it again. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> you know what? I'll be honest with you.
0: It's just like his A six Intruder. The A six Intruder. I I just put away because I was like not in the mood anymore. But that will come back. It is half assembled. Like it's just something I'm going to have to clear in the backlog. I will say though that the Brewster Buffalo I bought mostly just for the box art, because man, that box art was good. That's you true. should uh, thumbtack it. I'm I'm going to do that. Yeah, I've, I'm cutting out off all the box art I think... from the kits, and I'm just like making a folder of it. Hey, you're just copying
3: me, aren't you? Oh yes, I copy. I've most got of
1: my <laughs> I've got my I'm boxes on my wall. <laughs> yeah, my dumbass threw my shit away because I didn't think about that.
3: <laughs> Always keep the box arts. They're a work of art.
1: They, they literally are. are. Yeah. Like quite, they, they have signatures. <laughs>
3: yeah. Actually, you know, uh, ethics have got a book series on their artworks.
1: That's really cool. Do they
3: really? Yeah. they, oh, they do. Cool. I saw one and there's one, there's one available in New Zealand, but I, then I saw the price of it. It was 130 <laughs> bucks. Oh God. I was <laughs> like, oh, no, I'm good. Eh, <laughs> I don't need box art that
2: bad. <laughs> Some of those Mang kits have incredible
0: box art. Yeah, I like the. Who uh, sent you? I think it's Jason Jason Wong, I want to say. But he's the guy who does the box art for Mang and Tacom, and man, he's talented.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Tacom box art is incredible.
1: It's very sleek and clean. I think
4: Tacom probably is the best box art out there.
1: It feels more futuristic, like, the boxes themselves, they're, like, more sturdy, they're more clean and sleek, versus, like, a Tamiya box. Like, I know, I love Tamiya, but it's definitely, it feels more professional, I guess, with TACOM. When you oh, the yeah, TACOM they got box. the,
0: they got the colored and, like, instructions, too. Oh, dude, yeah. I want to say, a uh, Border Model, shout out to them, because their box art is really nice, and they've also did, uh, one of their kits they give to you in a wooden box. Like, you've got the box art, right, but it's a sleeve. That's the T-34, the right? Yeah, that's correct. That's the T-34 with the uh, uh, extra armor. And that one, then it's actually got a wooden box made of balsa wood. And it's got like a laser engraving of a T-34 on it. And their new kit, uh, the Beobachtung uh, Panzer IV, that is in a
3: metal metal box,
0: which is pretty cool.
3: Damn. Nice. Yeah, it's funny though, the, uh, the T-34E they've got, the box sounds really good, but apparently the kit is horrible. And, i built that um, kit actually um like the applique armor is just um not good well here's the thing so that was i think
0: like their third or fourth kit that actually no that was probably like your second kit they ever came out with on paper the kit is great because it's got working suspension working tracks that you have to just click together right they're like one piece tracks right um it's got a full turret interior it's got a metal barrel with rifling detail on it. It's got photo etch. It's got Jesus. resin stillage, Um And, of course, like the clear parts and all that, right? What's the catch? Well, the catch is that that's what it says on paper. They do like many things from China nowadays. That's also what you get in the box. However, the springs that they gave you for the uh, suspension were way too stiff, so you couldn't actually actuate the suspension without breaking the plastic. Um, uh, the tracks were... They were reasonably well detailed, but the problem was like the little nubbins that hold them together once you click them in were made of way too soft plastic so they would deform too easily and you basically had to like, glue them on anyways. Um, the turret interior was actually really good, I have nothing to say about that. Um, the gun barrel was great, but the general fit of the kit was, it was like hobby boss, hobby boss level, right? Yeah. The uh, applique armor was actually not bad. Um, there were fit issues with it, but like nothing that was too insane. Like you could, you know, The nice thing was you could actually see where the fit was the issue, and you could actually like, just kind of, using a lot of uh, glue, just kind of force stuff it in together, and it did end up working. Um, it was definitely a hard kit to put together, but that was also just because of the sheer number of pieces. But yeah, if you want to do a T-34 that isn't like the same old, same old, I would actually recommend it. Like, if you're willing to work with a few of the challenges, like, as we're talking about now, you could do it.
4: I think I remember when you built it. Wasn't it, like, one of your first things you post on Kitmaker? yeah. Yeah.
3: Okay, so... Question for everyone. What is the model that you struggled with the most but still finished?
2: That constitution. (laughs) it it was kind of a nightmare but i got it done it looked half decent uh i've improved a lot since then but that was one i
3: struggled with a ton uh yeah uh
1: greg same question Oh shit. Either the Hobby Boss AAV7 that I recently did and the one that Dennis was about to do, or the Trumpeter BMP3. Those are, like, neck and neck for me. Uh, Isra?
4: Uh, Definitely my Shaquel Dillette. It's fought me, like, every step of the way.
3: That's the AFV club one, isn't it? Yeah. Shame on them. (laughs) Uh, Dennis. I would say it would probably have to be.
0: I want to say it's actually going to be my, uh, C1 to 32 scale CF 104. Um, the original one I did, I have done two now, but one was like the first one was a two seater, sorry, a single seater. And that one just had so many, so much flash and so many seam lines. And it was like a brand new kit as well. And that just fought me the whole way. Um, But yeah, again, finished result. If you can push through it, it looks good.
3: How about you, Cal? Ooh, that's a good one. I would have to say the worst one I encountered was the AMG... uh, Was it the NKL-26 Erasan? The Soviet um, armored ski... Thing. oh that you know, the thing th- that, that you oh, told that us about yeah yeah because <laughs> uh i mean that one was kind of my fault i wasn't quite skilled enough for it i kind of let my ego get away with me on that one because that one was my first one that had photo etch it had metal parts metal cast parts and plastic parts and i built that within uh, i think that was the sixth model i built since i restarted and that one that one was a fight um as uh, the photo etched wasn't the best on it it was like it was the old style photo etch that's quite thick so to bend it was an absolute nightmare and like that one came close to getting thrown out it was very close because that one <clears throat> i had problems with the primer i had problems with the paint like for some reason the paint didn't dry for an entire week there's some sort of <laughs> yeah. chemical reaction to it the paint just never dried so i had to strip it all back to primer and repaint it with a different paint so yeah i'd say that one that one was one of the worst and i'm sure there was one more but that one was definitely the that one was humbling I'll I'll put it that way, that would that one humbled me, which I kinda needed.
0: <laughs> Alright, so here's I guess maybe one last question for you guys. So let's do a thought experiment. You guys just got like put in charge of like some big model corporation, right? Now what is one feature that you would say like going forward? most like you know this is a feature you want to see on model kits going forward like what would you add
3: mm.
4: Hmm. include both lincoln length and rubber tracks
3: that's good that's a good yeah, one that's a good one
1: Ooh.
2: i want to see the uh ebay special of wooden deck and uh, photo etch included in ship models
0: that'd be
1: great yeah How about you, Greg? So I've got two takes for this. Uh, as a diorama maker, I think it would be really nice to have, no matter the kit, uh, like for an example, I've got a BTR-70 that, like the box art shows, the all the doors open. Uh, but the actual kit has literally zero interior, so if I wanted to have like guys coming out of the inside... I, it would, I'd have to have them in the doorway, so you can't, like, you know, so, like, <laughs> not a full interior, but enough to where if you had, like, the hatches open, you could see a seat or two, like, just enough detail in the interior where if, like, a hatch is open, like, on a, on a take turret, you can see, like, the commander's periscope or something, right, or, uh, on, like, an Abrams, his fucking, his 50 dashboard, right, something like that, um, as well as, like, uh, included with that segment uh, figures, like more figures per kit. And then uh, my other idea would be, like, for example, the Corsair. We've, we've seen tonight the, all the different types and variants of the Corsair and how many countries use them. I think it would be nice if, like, Tamiya had their 1 to 48 scale Corsair had more decals to make them different countries. So if you wanted to make the New Zealand one, if you wanted to make the Canadian one, the uh British one. Ezra's right. Yeah, Ezra's Reich for Christ's sakes, right? Like Ezra's right. <laughs> like the M4 Sherman is also a good example. Uh just adding the decals for and I know that's depending on the vehicle, that's a lot of decals, but it's options. You don't have to get aftermarket you can make it literally you know w- whatever country actually used it
2: get the uh the Tamiya autoloader collab yes
1: yeah quite literally yes promote my boy.
0: Hand with a red panda in like a business suit <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah that would be mine
3: I would say mine would be always ensuring uh, workable suspension I'd say yeah. yeah yeah always have workable suspension and then maybe no it's just that workable suspension always
0: I'd say for me like I'd like to make some sort of machine where you can like cast white metal tracks and then after you cast them, like the machine does it all automatically. Then it basically like just links them together by like automatically. So it spits out, you like pour in the metal ingots, like metal, uh, what are they called? Like the metal rods, right? And then you just like, it spits out pre-linked uh, runs of tracks. So like what you could do is you could include in your kit rather than having to worry about, okay, it's a vinyl track, which is, you know, like, too simplistic on detail or it's like link and length or individual link tracks which are too hard to assemble. All people have to do is put in the one link, right? And like just now you've got all the advantages of like individual link and workable and metal tracks. Then you just like, you know, add that. Like uh, that Ukrainian company Sector 35, they already do that stuff. It's just not coming in in, in kids default. And I would charge like an extra 20 bucks for it. And I would pay for that. I'd pay for that. I would
1: 100% pay for that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've got a second one as well.
3: Um, I think all kits should have. This is for three D people with three D printers. All kits in the instructions should have a, should have a QR code that, if you scan it, brings you to an STL file for aftermarket. That'd be amazing. Oh, oh yes, oh, yes. Aftermarket parts. You scan a you scan a QR code on the box or on the on the uh, instructions or whatever. That brings you to um, company-made STL files. STL files for um, any accessory, aftermarket, something like that. I think that would be neat. So then, that way, you can yeah. either build it out of the box, or you can get um, additional accessories.
2: You could have a whole page of like fifty accessories that you could just
3: throw on there. Yeah, that would be and a even if the to... STL, I mean, sick. even if the STL files were like five bucks each or something like that, you know, not even that. But, or yeah. sell
1: like a catalog of STL file like QR codes, yeah. sell it for yeah. like fifty mm-hmm. bucks and have like everything. Actually,
3: yes, that would be a good. You you buy it. You, yeah, you buy a catalog catalog for a slightly <laughs> higher price, but but gives you access to all these STL files for
1: for the rest of your story. life.
3: Or like in every Tamiya model
2: magazine, you get a QR code at the back. You scan it and get a free STL file.
3: That's not a bad idea, actually. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, they already give you, like, quote-unquote free gifts of, like, the uh, masking tape. Like, yeah, get a little STL file. Maybe it's like a jerry can or an ERA brick or something like that.
3: Yeah. Well, for those all who uh, read the Tamiya magazine online, um, you know, i.e. me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh. Why... This might be off topic but why are aircraft kits still like why does the fuselage still have to come in two pieces what can't you just have a cast fuselage where you don't have to fill it and sand it
3: are you saying they should slide mold uh fuselages that's exactly what i'm saying that's not a bad why not yeah that would be dope as yes. Yeah, that's another one slide molded fuselages yeah, because then you wouldn't have to worry about the seam line running along the top and the bottom, would you? And, oh! And you
2: wouldn't have to worry I about mean, erasing you'd, panel lines. You would lines. still have a small. Yeah, you'd have
4: a, you'd have a small seam. but That
2: wouldn't be as bad. Some of the. Uh, some seam lines are nightmares. And then you, like, erase all the panel lines trying to get it fit.
1: You know what I would like for uh, aircraft kits? And granted, I've only built two. One's not even fully built yet. Uh, <laughs> the canopy to have, like, pre masked to where. Yeah. Like, like, they come, like, in the plastic wrapping, pre masked. So you can literally just spray glue on and then take the mask off. Like, that or, would be so. I'd pay for that. I paid 10 extra bucks for that.
2: Even to just come out, like, to come with a sheet of, like, a. Uh pre-cut just, yeah masks. Come with a sheet of
3: masks would be really good
2: edward sells pre-cut masks but they're expensive
3: well,
0: that's what arma Hobbies doing for their 72 skill stuff the uh each aircraft comes with a, a sheet of masks for the
1: canopy that's so yeah. nice oh my god
2: we should run a model company
1: oh yeah we should we'll
0: Beaver become pick- like
1: andy's hobbies <laughs> have our own model shop. Have our own red pandas in the back, slaving away. I mean, helping out. Have. Uh...
3: <laughs> Dang, yeah, that'd be Whoa. sick.
0: Guys, I think we may have done the podcast.
1: I believe so.
3: Oh, I think so.
4: Yes. Well then, shall we? Uh... I mean, it was a hard podcast to make but we made it what to- was it a hard yeah. podcast it wasn't oh, difficult. Yeah.
1: what do you mean yeah. it, was, it wasn't like last time not me being insecure about my slides dennis vomited a oh, few yeah.
4: times <laughs> but
3: don't worry about it uh dennis we should probably just mention discord group yes. Build all oh, yes before we uh shut everything mm-hmm. down um, we have
0: a Discord. If you want to join in on the discussion about models, if you want to post your works of progress, um, you know, talk to a like-minded community, we run a Discord. Um, the link for it to join it is going to be in every single one of our videos' descriptions, um, as well as it's on our Spotify and all on all of our social media pages. Uh, registering is absolutely free. It takes only a few seconds. And yeah, it, it is just a really great platform to discuss scale model making, and all, all sorts of other things on. Uh,
3: yeah. We yeah. also do, um, we also do stuff, what we call hangouts, which is uh, when yes. a whole bunch of us will just uh, jump online in the voice chat and maybe turn on your camera if we want or not. And when you're just building models or whatever you want to do, if you would just want to chat and sit around, we regularly do hangouts where we're just uh, chilling and chatting. So,
1: and it's at random, too. It's not like a set there's, time where you could or couldn't miss it. It's there's like, almost always someone online, yeah. Yeah. Like if you wanted to come on and start the hangout yourself and put in the chat, hey, I'm going to be in here for an hour or two, or I'll be on in an hour or two. Like, who wants to join? You'll almost always get someone pinging you. Like, if I'm not at work and I'm not out with my family, I'm typically in my garage. So,
2: Hell, Koufax in the group in the uh, voice chat right now.
1: Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, shout out <laughs> Yes.
3: Awesome.
0: Well, if you've come to this point, uh thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week.
1: Oh yeah. All right. All right. See, see you. Ya. See ya, boys. Bye, everyone.